I want the summertime, summertime sadness. Huh? Yeah, I'm in. Record. Recording. Cool. We are back with another Ladude cast. Welcome to the Ladude's cast. It's the Ladude cast. I don't want to say that it's been four weeks since our last podcast, but at least three weeks. I'm not counting. I'm just counting down the days. <laughs> counting down do the days. Yeah. I feel like we say we're going to do a podcast <laughs> every Wednesday morning and then Corona happens or family's in town. You know, you're a busy guy. Busy guy. You're a busy guy. You're so busy that we don't have a book today that we're going to discuss, but we're going That's to talk. That's not wholly my fault, though. It's we all, ordered Did a I book. make that sound like it was all your fault? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is true. That I'll is, take the blame. I guess maybe a week or two it took us to get the book. And next week we're going to be discussing the book junkie yes by what's his name william s burroughs william s burroughs and so that's something to look forward to um this week we're chatting about some short stories right yes um i'm gonna rely on you to pull up the names because i did read them yes but um how did we get here how did we get to three short stories were we just being lazy about the book and not lazy i think it's a good like interim you know like if we can't get a book to ship in time or if we haven't chosen one it's like you know pick a selection of short stories and talk about those is definitely good, good way to keep reading and have something to talk about definitely definitely um do you think people the general population reads short stories ever Besides out of I, like a English college English course. Um, yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask because I like them because mm. they are so condensed and you can read them in like, you know, a car ride or while you're waiting. Yeah. yeah. So they, they're they really short in that way. Um, and I like them, but I'm not sure if people are reading them as often. I mean, usually authors, you know, publish them in collections or in magazines. Mm-hmm. So like in the New Yorker, or Harper's or review or something there will be like a short story you know magazine size and then they'll use that as kind of like an advertisement for releasing like a full publication of a collection of short stories um that's what i was gonna say so it seems like you know a little bit about short stories right yeah yeah. i'm not too aware with short stories not too familiar with short stories are these authors do you think most short story authors actually write full books or do you think they keep with short stories and like you said maybe have a collection of short story like a book with like a collection of yeah. their short stories it goes or, it goes back that? and forth i would say that like um if you're a short story writer you're hard pressed to like come out with a full book mm-hmm. whereas if you've written full books you probably got selections of short stories as well um and that's not that's not completely true um it's not absolute you can go back and forth yeah but usually like if someone thinks in that way primarily writing a full length of work is always kind of like you know a stretch Mm. so keeping with the past two podcasts we the first podcast we was about a guy going through divorce and his strained love life the second podcast we did the art of loving Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about love. Which Keep I've used many times in conversation since. Very it's nice. Been it's been helpful. Kudos to you. No, I'm just to look smart, not to actually... Oh, right, right. <laughs> like, I did this podcast on the art of loving. Don't ask me what love is. It's just... But um, keeping with that same theme, um, I saw... I guess you sent me a list of, like, some short stories, or you sent me a website yeah. that had some short stories on it. And I picked, I think, two. You picked one. Um, One that stood out to me, keeping with the theme of love, was um, on seeing the 100% perfect girl one beautiful April morning by Haruki Murakami. Okay, I didn't want to be like that. This guy uh, is like the most famous Japanese writer in the Western world. Can you say his name one more time? Haruki Murakami. And that's how you pronounce it, 100%? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. so I was like, going to butcher it if I try to say that. Super popular guy. 
And he's one of these guys where he's a novelist, but he'll come out with short stories, and he's got a collection. So you knew about this guy before yeah. I chose this. Had you read this short story before? I had. Yeah, okay. I had actually read this. I sent yeah. you that list just being like, as an example, like, a hey, general. We, can, we don't have to buy anything. There's tons of short stories online already. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, okay, then tell us a little bit about what this short story is about. I mean, it's kind of explicit in the title. It's <laughs> this guy's talking about like if he would if he saw this perfect girl, he would basically tell her, um, you know, that uh, retell the story about how he met her and how he came to find her, um, and how she is the perfect girl. But like the twist in it, kind of, and I think are we giving away twists? Yeah, spoilers, um, spoilers all over the place. And correct me if I'm with wrong, everything. But the twist in it is that like it is someone that he knows, or at least like the reader could assume that it's somebody that he knows, and that it's just like the passage of time and becoming adults has made them like n- not know each other, but they were like childhood loves. Is that how you read it, or how? That's you- not how I interpreted it. That is a way that you could. That's like a could. literal. That's like a literal way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I kind of interpreted it. It seemed like the story to me, the way I read it, was this guy saw the hundred percent perfect girl, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit hesitant on pulling the trigger and talking to her, hitting hitting on her. I guess you could say, um, and then through the passage of time, he kind of let that slip. It's like he knew what his perfect girl was throughout all his life. It seemed like, Mm -hmm. but he never could get past that anxiety of talking to her, I guess. And yeah, so I don't know if he ever knew her. Cause like, do you believe in love at first sight? I feel like that's kind of what this story is, is suggesting. I do. I do believe it. Love at first sight. Do you? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, I do. I don't know. I think it's, there's such a thing as lust at first sight. I don't think you can just fall in love. We're talking about falling in love or like being in love, love, right? Yeah, well, I think like, you know, to go back to what we were talking about the other week, um, you know, he says that you don't fall in love or you don't find love. But the idea of love at first sight is like, oh, like I love you immediately and pretty much unconditionally, right? Because I don't know you. And then the continuing act of love is separate from that. But I definitely think that like you can see someone from across the room and just be stricken. Like with But I think that's lusty. That's I, don't know, I think like, that's like But bec- like there's definitely you know, there's definitely moments where it's not like, Oh, I need to have sex with this person or it's strictly physical. It could be like the way a smile is or like the way a joke is or how they interact with their friend group you know, in the club or, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But like, I don't think it necessarily, when I say lust, lust at first sight, I don't think it necessarily has to mean like, I want to have sex with that person. And that's my general attraction. Mm-hmm. It could be something where like, I lust after that person, that idea of that person, that yeah. person's extremely beautiful. And I want that person as my side piece or arm piece. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, guess I'm not, I'm not taking that as exclusive from love. I don't see why love can't encompass those feelings as well. Because you um, don't know anything about that person. I don't. I don't necessarily think that you have to know like everything. But you don't about know any. But it's not someone. everything. It's like you don't know anything about this person, and you just see them, and you're like, Yeah, but I, like, is love a scorecard of what you know about someone? Right. Kind of. Oh, maybe. I don't know. See, I don't. I don't know if that's true. And I don't think we have to agree on it, and I'm glad <laughs> we, don't we don't. Have to. But like, we don't have you know, to. like the, my concept Maybe of I'm love just a cynic. is is that you should be able to and can be able to love anyone um, based off the fact that you love yourself enough. You right. Know, right. Yeah, I think so you can like, just have a general love for people. Yeah, and I totally think that there's people out there for sure who are just like love at first sight. I knew it. Like you know, like I'm sure. Anyway, maybe I don't know, but so wait. He definitely talks about, like, meeting someone in youth and then, like, um, re-meeting that person. Yeah. Right? So are you seeing that as, like, an analogy or are you seeing that as... I think it's something like... I I say this to people because, like, I've worked in a number of jobs, Mm -hmm. maybe seven or eight jobs in the past ten years. And 
and it's mostly been factory and warehouse work. And I've said to people that like, I've re like, I've met you before. I've met this type of person before mm. I've re-met this group of people before. Like, mm. I, I feel like that's kind of what he's talking about is yeah, like, because you see, I, do you see that in people? Like, it doesn't have to be at your job. It could be, oh, yeah. you know, just, just meeting people. It's like, Oh, I've met somebody exactly like you before. Yeah. I know who you are as a person. They, y'all probably maybe had this same type of, um, nurture growing up. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think that's kind of what he was saying in his this, story is like i've met this type of person before and i know that this is the 100 percent perfect woman for me mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i could see that i'm glad you read it a different way than i did um i was that's the beauty about it, short stories right they're so literally. it's yeah. such and also we both don't know because it is a translation so it's like there could be something that's lost in there you know like maybe perfect isn't exactly the perfect word for that he, that was used in japanese but yeah, it could I, I be did. lost on cultural context yeah. as well, a lot of this, mm. especially because he said he's Japanese, one of the most famous Japanese oh, yeah. writers. But, yeah, I'm very, I don't know, I feel like, you know, okay, that kind of, like, plot stuff aside and how you would read it, were there any, like, key concepts that kind of came out? So, obviously, love at first sight, but do you think that there's anyone that's 100% perfect? No. No. It can't be. No, so this is just rubbish. It's full on rubbish. I I liked it though. I would give it mm, maybe three and a half rose petals out of five. I'm gonna hold off until we talk about all the stories. I'm gonna come in hot later. Oh, okay. Well, I th- I would give it about three and a half because like I feel like he kind of encapsulates um, the anxiety that a young man can have to go out of his way to yeah. approach a woman. It's very hard. Do you I mean, have it's that even, anxiety? Um, depends if I've had enough alcohol in me yeah. to lower my inhibitions, but you just let them come to you because I, they're I, your I waitress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ouch. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I talk to women. I don't care. Like I don't yeah. put them on a pedestal and I feel like a lot of young men, especially young millennials and now Gen Zers, you know, they don't really know how they probably don't have the best face to face communication skills as prior generations. And so I, I don't put them on a pedestal, but I think a lot of young men do put women on a pedestal Mm. and therefore it's difficult for them to get out of their comfort zone and approach them. Yeah. Do you feel that way? No. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think like, I I partied a lot and went to tons of bars and like really challenged myself to always talk to people mm. either in like not in like a pickup way every time but yeah. like just in a sociable way. And it doesn't have to be exclusively like um rom- like a no. love love attraction or no, like, a, like, like somebody that you want to be a significant other with. There would be people like and I would have friends who'd be like, "Oh my gosh, like how did you just go talk to this person or how like you know whatever." Just all people get a phone number, which by the way, getting phone numbers is like very, very easy. It's like nine times out of 10, you're going to get ghosted or something anyway, but like getting the number itself is easy. Mm -hmm. But like, um, one thing that I always told people was like, dude, you should just be talking to people all throughout the day. Like, Oh, for sure. The the checkout person at the grocery store. Ask them how they're doing and mean it. Yeah. See someone walking a dog and you think the dog's cute. Like, don't like just think it like yeah. you know talk to them and have a conversation yeah and well like, that's how you develop your yeah. social skills your communication mm-hmm. kids then skills. it's like you know you're already you're wet in you're the confident. water right so you know how like, to mm, you can talk to that person when you really really want to and your yeah. tongue's not tied do you feel like that's lost kind of like that art is kind of lost due to modern technology at all um i don't know i think I don't think it's lost. I think it's it still happens. Um, Organically. Yeah, I mean, it still happens out in, in the wild. There's a lot of people that, like, and you'll notice them where they're just like, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like if you're equipped to kind of have that response or if you're a shuffler and you're just like, I'm doing well, like, you know, you keep <laughs> moving. And I think it, I genuinely think it comes with age. I mean, um, age or experience, right? So, like, yeah, those mean the same thing, but that one can get you know, you could have more experience when you're younger hmm. in some ways. But, um, yeah, I definitely think it's just age and exposure. 
because you'll you'll see it. The old old guys, you know, they're they're down to have a conversation with anybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you think that? You know? Well, that's what I kind of mean. I feel like you know, like you just said, exposure to mm-hmm. um, social conversations, social interactions, and I feel like especially now with uh, coronavirus, you know, younger mm-hmm. people are having to do Zoom calls or communicate through a computer, or through technology, and not see somebody face to face anymore. And so, like, it's it's going to be more difficult for yeah, well, younger, younger crowds. We're all building up personas, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone's internet persona is like your internet you, avatar. Yeah, it's like, do you live up to that ever? Right, you're it's probably like, not. You're probably yeah. going to build that up, yeah, to the point where you can't so, meet that, yeah, <laughs> expectation. I've, I've kind of always felt like that uncomfortableness in real life because it's like I post a lot and I always have. It's just like I want stuff there, and then when people meet me, it's like maybe I'm, you know, I'm sillier or more immature than, or like maybe I'm not, or like maybe I'm less serious than I am uh, on the web. And it's like I, you know, dealing with that persona, especially like with things like TikTok where you can get super duper viral out of nowhere. I'm, I'm sure that's hard for a bunch of people on the internet. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think, you know, like with approach anxiety and things like that, it is just like um, a skill that's built over time. Yeah. And like exposure. It's exercising. Therapy. Yeah. Have you ever gone through stages of your life where you're just like, wow, that was a really bad conversation I just had or wow, I that was a really ter- like awful, like not awful or terrible, but... That was a really awkward thing for me yeah. to say to that random stranger. Have you ever gone through like phases oh, yeah. where it's just like weeks on end? You're like, wow, I can't communicate <laughs> with people. I don't know about weeks on end. I definitely, and honestly, I can't read anyone's mind. So like, I might be like, <laughs> you I'm killing it. And they're yeah. just like, dude, this guy is a dweeb. Yeah. I'm sure that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, RIP high school. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that like, and I've said this before, but like to any extent that I'm digging myself in a hole with like my sense of humor or something like that it's like i can dig myself out of it with that sense of humor so it's like it's charisma right yeah well it's like it's would you big. say you're charismatic uh, I, I don't think i have that fear in like anxiety approach or like talking to strangers or like anyone who's like you know like ceo or celebrity or something i do have that initial hump of fear mm-hmm. but then after that it's it's just momentum you know but you know to i have a big problem with like public speaking like that's that's what always freaks me out and like that's what i hate and i want to work on about myself is like that dun 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 in the heart and your like mm-hmm. face gets red and there's something in your throat public speaking has been a has always been an issue but like yeah. groups of like 20 30 people a classroom always been pretty fine greater that's than public that. speaking yeah but like mm, i don't know I feel it's, like, a, it's a little bit different. I'm sure there's, yeah. there's differences there, but I mean, some people can't, when they say they have trouble it's, public speaking, it's even the 20 to 30 yeah, people classrooms. Yeah, it's like settings for me. Like, it was weird, like in a poetry class, like, it would just be like a group of like 15, 20 people. I couldn't do it then because it was like, for some reason it's poetry and I'm like, you're very vulnerable laying yourself out. I just couldn't do it. Like, I would skip class. Would you then, say it's something more to do so than maybe with like, um, public speaking with your peers rather than maybe like people that are under you that maybe like you're teaching a class. So like, that's pretty easy, right? Because you're superior in that sense, because yeah. it's like, it's fine. I, you know, I'm the captain here rather it, than being what it like, is, is like, I get so amped up and like nervous and anxious that if like, I can't, if it's not the setting where I can meet that energy, then I, it, it, it rattles in the bottle right mm. so it's like i'm so like ready to go that it's like if it's a group of like 200 300 kids and parents and stuff it's like i'm screaming i'm like hey we're doing this it's like let, i'm leading you a song like we're going and you know how nervous i am is just matched with like the energy that i can put out mm. whereas like if i'm that nervous and then I, I have to like do a poetry reading i'm not calm you know like so mm. i could like dance and move my body around and yell but that's not the but that's not proper the setting, right yeah, setting. so it's like I'm, I'm, i can't like kick the door and be like let's read some poetry you know it's like so if i don't have like that if it's not the setting for me to like um you know use my energy in that way I, it just bottles up and i rattle up my hands are shaking everything's bad hmm. so it's like i definitely have that and um 
you know, it's also one of those things where, and this is like when guys are scared of approaching girls in my experience, it's like the moment you think about doing it, you have to go do it. Yeah. Because every single... Or else you're just building up that anxiety in you. Just sows doubt. Yeah. You never do it. And then when you do go, you're so nervous. Whereas like if you just take that impulse, you're you're using it. You don't have time to think about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And like that's like... I, I think I saw it somewhere where it's like regret is like decision like plus time or like times time that like you don't. That make makes a lot of sense. Something like this, but yeah. So yeah. that's my kind of thoughts on that stuff. Do you have uh, public speaking anxiety or anything like that? Oh yeah. 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 Um, it's just it's one of those things that not you don't do it every day. Mm-hmm. You don't do it every day. Most people don't do it every week. Most people don't do it in their lifetime. So. It's like it's an exercise that you don't get to do a lot. So like for me personally, my public speaking skills are pretty trash. But it's a thing where it's like I could teach a classroom full of kids and not care at all about, you know, messing up my words or whatever the anxiety would be for public Mm -hmm. speaking. But speaking to a classroom of my fellow students, you know, delivering a project or something. Like you said, very shaky, like lightning in a bottle, like, uh, you know, all those jitters and all the things that could go wrong flooding my mind. But it is what it is. And then it also, like, it always comes down to preparedness, you know? It's like, (laughs) yeah, they say, right? That's how you overcome that stuff is just like practice in front of a mirror and practice. Yeah, because the times, the times when I was super knowledgeable on the topic, I just handled it completely differently right. than the time where you I was can like, get all the curveballs. I wrote this yesterday, and like you know, like yeah, that's so probably my problem. That's too. a huge thing too, <laughs> for sure. But like even still, I, I, and I've said this, I've been saying this a lot the past couple of weeks, is like that is the number one thing that's gonna like continue to hold me back, whether it's just in my job or just in life or whatever, is like not being able to just be calm and like find some sort of center and public speak is going to really hold me back. But I think like, I think, you know, I think that probably comes with age and exposure and things like that too. And I'm exercise and I'm trying to look inward to be like, okay, like obviously that's a huge, like self-conscious like thing that's going on. And you're, you're very nervous and anxious and scared what people think of you and everything. And that, that's like, you know, public speaking is the most obvious example of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm trying to think of ways where it's like really search deep and be like, okay, what is it still about me that like I, really care about what people think in this environment yeah i envy those that can just get up in front of a classroom where uh the group of people and just wing it just wing whatever they say (laughs) i envy those people i'm like how are you just like like we both like stand-up comedy right and like yeah that's perfect example right i would i would shit bricks doing stand-up comedy and i think i'm a funny guy and i've got good stories None of that matters, man. Like, going up there, I would just be terrified. Yeah. And that's a thing where it's like most stand-up comedians will have, like, bits that they do, and they've practiced that hundreds of times. But then you got guys like Andrew Schultz, who's just doing crowd work, and it's like, that seems yeah. way more nerve-wracking, honestly, to me, because it's just like, you don't have anything to I don't talk about. You could just be like... I feel like crowd work is kind of, like, easier. The only word that's coming to my mind is cowardly. <laughs> Honestly, like, and I'm not saying like, oh, I could go up there and do it, but like, you know, it's lesser than it's like having like bits or I don't know. It's just kind of, it's just so lazy and like, no, like, it's not like you can't say anything wrong because you're holding the mic and everyone came to see you. So it's just so like automatically a, anything yeah, you're going to say is going like, to probably get a laugh. Yeah, it's like, and nobody's really looking at the person you're talking to. So you could just be like, oh, like this person looks like this. And everyone's like, ha ha. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't think it's like, it's it should be a tool in the toolbox. But it's like, it can't, you can't build the whole house with that one tool, right? So it's like, if you're building your whole show with it, I'm just kind of like, come on, dude, we paid to see you. Like, Shots at Andrew Schultz. Um, (laughs) So enough about speaking, public speaking. That's kind of what I got out of that is um, on seeing the 100% Perfect Mm -hmm. Girl One Beautiful April Morning. um, I got out of it having like anxiety to approach a woman and letting that go, like letting that opportunity pass you. So like just to quickly like 
my my read on it was like you know how and you said like oh i've met people before like i think he was talking more literally where it's like he fell in love with this person the passage of time happened and he saw this girl from his past and literally they it it was so awkward that he couldn't talk to her but you know he and he couldn't just be like hey remember this and like tell her about it so he kind of like let that pass so i was thinking more literally was there somebody that you had in mind maybe from elementary school days or you're like i let that one no. i let that one go <laughs> that's the one that got away no i don't know i don't think so <clears throat> so uh i wanted to the next one we did i want to save anatomy of burning things for last but the other story that we read was A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. Had yeah. you read this one before? I had. You chose this, this one. You specifically chose this one, right? Yeah, because this one is, um, this one's like, you know, I'd taken like short story classes and writing classes, and this one pops up a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of good to have read um, well as then, reference for when we move forward. Yeah, would you like to go ahead and explain it to? Yeah, so basically it's kind of about. Um, I'm forgetting what decade it's in, but it's it, they're it driving seems cars. It's like the 30, the 40s, 30, 40s, 50s, yeah. something like that. Um, but it's like a grandma who's just talking about bygone days all the time and talking about she's very fascinated with um, like horrible news and the whole family's going out and she's complaining a lot and she's thinking that like you know the past is better than the present and she wants old timers, old timers. <laughs> And uh, she wants to go to, like, a specific house from, like, the old times because it's very beautiful. They're all – the whole family's packed up on a road trip. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're talking about kind of, like, this killer that's on the loose previously in the story. And um, it turns out that they're on their way. They're taking a detour to go to the house that she's been, like, begging to go to because, mm-hmm. you know, she's just being annoying at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, Old people reminiscing. Yeah. And, like, halfway down the road, she realizes, like, oh – like, you know, that road was in... Uh, that was actually in a different state. In a different state. Like I think that was post their interaction with the prisoners. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I think because she was regretting it. So, so go ahead. So, they get into a car wreck, yeah, right? Yeah. They mm-hmm. get into a car wreck, this family. And so, while they're trying I to go find this way. house... I think No, because I think she regrets it because she's seeing... Because she's like... Mm. She's like, oh, crap we're in this trouble now and And we're not even supposed to be, we're not even supposed to be on this road. Yeah. 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 So they get into a car wreck. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the, the escaped convicts. Right. Are the people that find them on this road. That's obviously not getting a lot of traffic and they recognize the escaped convicts Mm -hmm. and then the escaped convicts slaughter the family slaughter the family yeah and i think it was at that point when she realizes oh shit we're all about to die yeah when she was like we're not even supposed to be on this road because the house that i wanted to go see and was reminiscing about is in a completely different state yeah and like i don't know if you can scroll down and look at some of the um kind of dialogue that either she says or he says the oh yes at the bottom because I feel like it's all very coded. Um, and I can't remember the exact language, but I feel like it's all very coded. And it kind of, like, brings out the main themes. That's, well, that's the of title like of the story, right? Good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, so how would you tie in the story with the title, A Good Man is Hard to Find? Um, I don't know. It's kind of like there are good, no good men. Mm-hmm. first of all and then it's like uh you know it's like are you really seeking it out or is it seeking you or is it happenstance hmm. i don't know what do you mean by the question i mean so for me when i was reading this first off i had no idea that they were going to be killed this was a horror story. Yeah, dude, Flannery O'Connor, <laughs> she's no joke. She's this was no a straight-up horror story. Like, dude, yeah. I was upset Like I was upset by it because I was like, oh, my God. Like, when I realized yeah. what was happening, I was like, oh, my God. All this whole family's... Sh- not all, but most of her stories are, like, horrific like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Levi. Yeah. <laughs> Have a little horror in your life. But, so, the 
first half of the story, I was like, it's kind of freaking boring. And when am I going to come across the title, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know, I guess, how the title kind of gets incorporated into the story at all. But it's kind of a, it's very upsetting too. Like when she realizes that they're all going to die because she basically pleads with them. Yeah. She, you wouldn't hurt me, would you? Yeah. Yeah. It says here, you know, if you'd pray, Jesus would help you. And he just has no remorse. He doesn't yeah. care at all. And she has to sit there. Like think about the tragedy and horror of like having to sit there and hear gunshots go off. Yeah, in the woods. Knowing that your son mm-hmm. just got taken away by these guys, and then you hear gunshots, and you're like, oh, we're all about to die. And I yeah. think it's like it's like the grandmother, who's the, um, and the story is the point of view of, and then it's like her son, her daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. and then like their two young kids. Was it, right? Did they exchange shirts or something? Oh yes, what, yes. What was that about? Yeah. Um, I think the ex, one of the escaped convicts. Um, I don't know. Something was messed up with his shirt or something. Yeah, so he, he takes her son's shirt mm-hmm. off, mm-hmm. and when he comes back from killing her son, he's wearing it. He's wearing yeah. it. That's so awful. And I, I don't know. It's it's. I don't know how to. Like, those things, you know, they all seem so coded to me in the story. And I'm not sure what they mean, like, thematically or what she's trying to say. I, th- You know? Because it's like... There's ways de- yeah, there's definitely there's, something deeper there. I didn't think yeah, about that, there's but there's definitely something deeper there. There's ways to read this story as, like, you know, the convict is death himself, right? And, like, she's having to confront, you know, with the fact that, like... She's been sitting here not living her life because she's thinking about the glory days. Exactly. But and I like, think, yeah. Your nostalgia, it, you're always wrong to go down the road of nostalgia because you're really just, you're acting You're not living like, your current, present life. Not living your current, present life, and death will confront you and take everything, right? Mm-hmm. So no matter like, what, it's going to come. Like, you can read it like that, or you can, like, you can even read it like they had the car wreck and they did die, and this is, like, an analogy for, like, their final moment. You know, and like there's lots of ways to read. I feel like all the language, especially at the end and all the Jesus stuff and all this, whatever, it it seems very coded to me. And like, you know, this was probably my second, third time reading it. And, um, you know, you're still kind of like you're terrified, but you're also like, what does it mean? Right. Like and you can just read it literally. Yeah, I think I read it more literal. But as you're saying, like, uh, you know, trying to dive in deeper into the literature and that makes a lot of sense what you're saying as far as like confronting death and um potentially their car wreck mm-hmm. you know was their final moments but and she's kind of living like maybe a lucid hallucination yeah. where she's like living her last seconds and she's thinking of death yeah in a like a way she's thinking of death in a way that she can like wrap her mind around it i guess yeah. even though that's a, that would be a very tragic Mm-hmm. <laughs> a way to to think of your last death or yeah. your last moments. Well, it's weird because it's like, um, you know, she's there's like this naivety in in looking at nostalgia, where it's like you would think there would be some like uh, wisdom in it because to be able to have be nostalgic for something, you have to have had some experience. But like, it's it's so naive at the same time because she's like. You know, in in the past times, everything was nice. And then, you know, like we talked about, she's not confronting the realities of the present time. And so, you know, just to have gone through that whole experience and then to be faced with the reality all at once is super tragic for her, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Do you ever deal in the nostalgia? Um... Do you ever look back and just reminisce really hard? I feel like a lot of people try to do that with video games. <laughs> yeah. Like, remember in high yeah. school when just, like, everybody was playing, like, Pokemon Yellow? Like, the I original, played. like, Pokemon Red? They all brought out their old Game Boys and mm-hmm. were, like, playing Pokemon. And it's just, like, 
Uh, that has always seemed extremely cringy to me, like yeah. to do it for multiple hours, maybe, <laughs> maybe to pull out a video game and play, you know, Nintendo 64 for 30 minutes to an hour with an old buddy or something yeah. like that. Maybe that's okay. But when I see people just like spending days on end doing some of the stuff they did in their childhood or watching their old childhood shows or something like that. I find that extremely cringy. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, but as far as I go personally, I don't know if I have, like, I definitely think fondly upon things, but I don't know if I have, like, this, like... It's a, it's a brief moment in time where you're yeah, doing that. It's not, it's like, like, something you're lingering I, on. Especially recently, like, I've had a good sense of, like, I've been there, done that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Where, like, I have a good sense of that recently. Um, and I'm very, like... And I'm also probably a little bit too caught up in, like, what's going on in the future and, like, what's going on in my current day, right? But, like, you know, as far as being, like, oh, I'd like to go back to high school or whatever, like, I don't know. I don't think I have that or college. I don't have that. Um, Do you come like, across many people that are, talk about high school as the glory days? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, but, I mean... I would too. Like if I was super duper cool. If that was like, like your peak. Yeah, and I loved it and I was killing it. It's like I see like, more people feel like that with college, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people my age that are like, Man, college was so then, much fun. And it's then like, I'm also fortunate enough to have like had my consistent friends since I was a kid. And like I still have those friends, right? Like mm -hmm. you for instance. Um but known like, you since you were in diapers. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know about that. Uh, if I've known you since we were five. I don't think I was in diapers. You'd be when I was two. Four. No. You would be two. If 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 I was five, you're two years younger than me. So yeah. three. Maybe, I don't know. You weren't in diapers at three. You weren't in diapers at three. I don't know. To any extent. <laughs> the point is if like, you know, there's a lot of people where it's like they probably had super good friendships in high school and super good friendships in college and they're still friends with those people or something, but maybe those people got married and moved to different States, you know? As and, do most. and so then life just smacked them in the face with like, it's hard to make friends or blah, blah, blah. And like, now you have to do this and grind out and you've got student debt, blah, blah. you know, like I could see nostalgia taking over. Um, where you're trying to like numb yourself basically yeah, or like, like try I'm to block enough. block some things some realities yeah that, I'm lucky enough to like still stay in contact with my friends and have been able to do so and make strong friendships you know sense and then and you know kind of like people I don't I haven't I don't talk to anymore you know especially recently I've had a sense of like you know been there done that if I see this person I'll be happy to see them again but like you know, to put to bed, like, the having to call and check up and all those things. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just, uh, I feel like there's, there's, like, a momentum in my life going forward mm -hmm. these days as opposed to going back. Um, and I remember saying stuff about this, like, with coronavirus, like, I had felt like I had done so much already that I don't really have FOMO. Like, oh, I'm not living my life. I'm just kind of, like, enjoying the time here. Um, what do you think? Do you, do you think you have, like, nostalgic time no i think we all have moments but like <laughs> sure moments any, like, from here to there but no i don't like living in the past at all and yeah. i don't i don't know if i see too many uh, i guess people that i surround myself living in the past too much i try to distance myself from those types of people yeah just not good i mean it's, it's also not good to live in the future either you know and it's very difficult to live in the present but yeah yeah and i don't i don't think I would have given you the same answer like, you know, eight, nine months ago. I think, you know, I think I, there was a lot of, there's always a lot of pain in the past, right? And yeah. it's like, <laughs> so no matter what, it's like, it feels good to have been done with that pain. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if some, if some people are still kind of like in that pain, like if you're in pain in the present moment, then it feels good to go back. Yeah. And, and especially if it was better in the past. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. So, like, you you know, if you're a super lonely person and you're going through a breakup, it's nostalgic to think about your terrible relationship, even even though it was terrible, because it was relief from that pain. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't think people that are, you know, I think 
in nostalgia, I think there's like a, a current pain, and like we can read that in this story where it's like she's probably fearful of death. She's old. She's trying to look pretty. She's trying to take care of herself, but she's clearly just old and like near death. Mm-hmm. And so, like to escape that pain, she just you know thinks about the past the whole time. Unfortunately, I could see a situation as we get older, the people that are also getting older with us naturally um, are going to dwell in the nostalgic in the past nostalgia in the past. I feel like that's just something that comes with age unless you have like a good head on your shoulders and you want to keep moving forward. Like Like, like that's what they say, like how to age successfully, how mm -hmm. to successfully age is you got to keep learning. You got to keep having new experiences. That's how you literally slow down time is you create new experiences and then those become anchors in your life that you can look back on if you so choose to look back on and be like, oh, that was actually a pretty good time in my life. Oh, that was, you know, this time, that was this year. Because I feel like there's so many people that are going through just the steps of life, like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe they get out of college and they, you know, have a spouse and they have a job and then it's just like a few years go by and it's like, frick, what did I do two years ago? What did I do three years ago? I mean, I guess there was Christmas, right? And it was July 4th. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I feel like a lot of people, as you get older, they're, we're probably going to see more people mm. look back in the past Remember. and just really want to reminisce and stuff like that. I feel like that's probably just something that comes with age, yeah, unfortunately. No, and like, I think it's actually in my Instagram bio, I, I put like, I'm living in the moment, but I'm leaving a lot behind in case I get lost mm-hmm. because there are times when I do get heavy nostalgia and I, you know, it'll be like hour, two, three, four hours at night <coughs> and I'll just scroll through my feed and just look at like, oh, that's, that's China or like, you know, that's Korea. <laughs> and then like go even further and be like, I haven't talked to that person in a long time, you know, or like the Grizzlies used to be good, you know, and like thinking about these things. But then, you know, it's like, that's all I've been there, done that feeling comes back in and I, I get excited we'll put that about to bed. Yeah. I get excited about the, the, the next day. Mm-hmm. But sure. yeah, I guess that is one of the, if there's, a positive thing. If there's a positive thing of looking back in the past, it's that it's a narrative of you. You can look Mm -hmm. back and you can be like, Oh, this is my story. If you ever get lost, like you said Mm -hmm. in life, you know, because that happens, you know, sometimes you're like, Whoa, who am I? You know, you have like a realization, like, what am I doing? What is this step in my life? You can go back and maybe look in the past, look to your individual past and be like, Oh, I've kind of encountered encountered mm-hmm. a certain situation like this before. I know how to handle this. I can do this. You yeah. know. So if there's anything good or positive about reminiscing, it's probably that it can show you your life. Mm-hmm. It teach you a lesson or maybe remind you of who you are. Yeah, for sure. And I do, th- you know, there is a difference between viewing the past and like living in the past. Yeah. So it's like using it as a tool to inform the present is very different from using it as a, a crutch, a pool to escape the present. Right. Yeah. So it's like definitely those things are there. And, you know, if if you are if you are just so heavily in nostalgia that you, you can't confront realities, then, you know, like your family being slaughtered. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to run into problems. You're going to run uh, into problems. How, what would you rate this one? Since you're, you're going to rate as we go. I'll rate yes. It so what did I give the a three and a half rose petals out of five for the first story? This one, I'm going to give it. I'll give it another. Th- no, I'll give it a three escaped convicts out of five. Nice. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. Because I liked it, but it definitely caught me off guard. And also, I couldn't That's help you take, but to think... It caught you off guard, so you take off co- a convict? It caught me off guard That's in the worst thing. way, because... She had you. <laughs> because I was sad. I was saddened that this whole family's dying. Because I, I immediately thought yeah, of, like, my grandmother, the, and I'm like... You them to win somehow, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, not really. And I do appreciate stories that end in tragedy. Like, I hate movies that are like... You know, they have like a, what would you say, like a God in the Machine, a Dos Ex Machina of like, yeah. oh, this is a, you know, a terrible, terrible, like 
tragic story and then the last five minutes is like well, but everything ends up okay yeah. I hate stories like that and I feel yeah. like so many movies so many books do portray a lot or do have that yeah. God in the machine where it's like oh just kidding everything's well, fine I think, I think stories like this exist because it's like no matter if, this like, is reality I mean that could yes, happen but rather like, than like a sweet rosy ending yeah true but like um, you know for instance let's take two books like one book you're reading and it's just a glorious book and this person has the perfect life and everything's so good or whatever and you they end up a champion you close the book and then it's just like oh my life sucks right <laughs> or you read it doesn't book. seem real that doesn't seem real because that's not how to me at least because mm-hmm. right but like you know that that you know especially with bigger books like when you close it and then you return back to reality there's always kind of like this this feeling of ushering in, at least for me, where it's either like escalation or de-escalation of like back in reality now, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, um, but if you read a terribly like scary or horrific book, it's like you close it and you're like, oh my god, like the sun's out, and then like like that. Yeah. There's like this nugget of like, you know, pain in your stomach, but you're like, but I'm I'm pretty good. But we're cool, right? Yeah, like we're good, right? <laughs> I Look lived through that experience, but <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's some value in yeah. just stuff like that. No, so I liked it like that. I'm just I didn't. It didn't super blow me away. Okay, well, so I'm, I'm not giving a four or five. Think about the next story. Then. Yeah, so the next story, and I think this uh, short story is a great segue for our book that we're gonna read and talk about next podcast. That is true. I didn't think about that. That's why I wanted to save it for last. So this one, this short story is Anatomy of a Burning Thing by Monica Robinson. Had you been familiar with this story? Not at all. Actually, could you do a Google search of Monica Robinson? I think this is probably, um, uh, you know, the lesser known writer out of the two, definitely. But yeah, I was... Monica Robinson. Yeah, I don't think she's... Yeah. She's not very famous. I can't find anything off the top of the Google. Yeah. Because I'd never heard of her. So she might, this is probably just a contribution somewhere, and we we stumbled upon it. So, so th- yeah, I, I can't really find too much any about her. Um, yeah. But so this story is about basically like an addict. That's that's kind of how I read it. Yeah. It's like Can you read the title so we can reference it other people? Yeah, Anatomy of a Burning Thing by yeah, Monica Robinson. And I guess it was put out in 2019, so probably relatively um newer writer maybe. Maybe that's why we can't find too yeah, much on her. And I think this might be like a personal blog or something. I'm not sure. Could be. I read it kind of like a poem, honestly. Yeah, it's very just like Stream of conscious, like yeah, word. it's which is this is basically another tragedy. It's mm-hmm. about how like somebody's just abusing drugs of some sort, and it's been a while since I've read it, but they're abusing drugs of some sort, and it's just everything around them is burning, so to speak. Yeah, they're in a very they're they're in like a feverish state. They're in of the addiction. dumps. They're in hell. <laughs> they're in the dumps. Yeah, they, they are they're in hell. <laughs> whatever the this day. person is. Um and I appreciated this story a lot because I feel like so many times when discussing drugs or junkies, sometimes authors creators writers of those stories like to romanticize it and they're mm-hmm. like oh they're doing drugs but they're peppy they're you know going down the yeah. streets and they're hooping and hollering and you know they're just yeah. i feel like this store short story was extremely gritty and extremely raw and it, and it, it hurt to read because i've heard or you know i've i've seen people seen personal friends good friends live through this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so I wanted to save most of our drug conversation for our book, Junkie, next week, but that's just kind of yeah. a brief does this, I can't remember. Of how does I felt. this have like a re- redemptive kind of end or like no, I'm they're sure crying it, in like a lover's lap or something going on? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it just kind of, you know, there's people that. There's like some consolation. There's, there's somebody that tries. There's like people out there for this guy that's talking about how his life is shit yeah because of drugs and 
there is a little bit of a redemptive quality, I guess, because it seems like there are people out there that care about him still, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I guess most junkies and stuff have that to an extent, but then some people don't, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, there's like, um, there's a YouTube page I follow. It's invisible people. And it's, it's literally this ex homeless guy goes and talks to other homeless people. And, um, some of like, you can get some really touching, moving stories out of it. And one of the guys, um, he said that like, he like looks at the camera and he's like, most of you are, you know, two paychecks and a family away from being right where I am. And I was, you know, you know, if you are like that kind of, that can kind of hit deep, you know, where it's like most of these people, it's like they did nothing wrong except miss a couple paychecks. Most of them aren't junkies until they are homeless. Mm-hmm. And then once they are homeless, it's like, you know, they do that just to like yeah. escape yeah. their situation and then they're caught. Yeah. Um, That's my interpretation on most people that are into hard drugs is that they didn't mean to they didn't mean to get where they're at nobody wakes up one day and like "Uh, you know what my life is great and stuff but i think i also want to shoot up heroin for the first time yeah like nobody's having that train of thought that's just doesn't exist you get on hard drugs my belief is you get on hard drugs to escape yeah you're a victim of something you're hurting and you know then you do it and then you end up hurting or victimizing other people you know or or you don't and you kind of just waste away. Um, That's why it's my personal belief that all drugs should be decriminalized. The war on drugs needs to end. I think it's ridiculous how we treat people that are hooked on heavy drugs because it's, I think it's a mental health issue. I don't, or it's a mental health issue or it's, it's, they fallen through the cracks of the system, a system or institution and they're down on their luck, it shouldn't be treated as that they're mm. criminals. I, like, I, I think it's absurd that we throw people that are struggling with drugs in prison. Yeah, it, I think so too. And then, you know, there's also the whole other side of it where it's like drug companies are just basically giving people pills that do the same exact stuff yeah. as all these other hard drugs. Yeah. So there's a legal way to do this and there's an yeah, illegal there's way, a way to, to do pay it me for it. Or, or, yeah. So. And I feel like rich people, high in society people, they kind of have the affordability of yeah. like, oh, my life's crap, but I'm never really going to be down on my luck truly because I have all these safety nets because maybe I come from a rich family. They can just get prescription drugs or they can just, you know, uh, have a problem. Now I'm going to go to rehab, the best rehab, and I'm going to get better and stuff. It's Yeah, I, I, I hear you, but I also don't, I don't fully follow the storyline of, like, oppressive rich people versus, like, everyone else. Because I think... Um, you don't want to eat the rich? No, I, I genuinely oh, okay. think that, like... I'm just playing. You know, if anyone's doing something... Uh, that is oppressive or is like to express their power nine times out of 10, it's coming out of a place of weakness. And so it's like, I feel like a lot of those people who are rich and oppressive are probably like bankrupt in their soul, you know, in, in, oh, a, sure. in a more real sure. way than poor people. Right. And we, mm, we different, a different like we way. Know this, we know this a lot when you use, you know, you'll, you'll meet someone who's very poor and they still have like this happiness and this joy and they have a family and they, mm-hmm. and they make do with what they have. Well, because they're rich in character, right? right? Can, yeah. Opposed to so, a rich person that's yeah, poor exactly. in character. And so like, that's kind of the nugget I'm getting at. Um, so like, you know, to, to act like rich people don't suffer, I think is like not acknowledging that we're more than materialistic beings. I wouldn't, yeah, no, I wouldn't say that, but <clears throat> I feel like that also goes with the whole myth. I think this is a myth that like, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a myth. I'm pretty sure there's an extent to it. Like if I had a six figure career, I'm going to be pretty happy because a lot of my problems financially are going to go away. Right. But now if I have, you know, millions of dollars, like there's a yeah. threshold to that. Right. Which it's like, okay, well if I have a hundred thousand compared to 200,000, I'm not going to be that much happier with 200,000 yeah. than a hundred thousand dollars. No. Yeah. I, def- you know? I hear what you're saying and I agree. But I do think, like, no matter the situation, happiness can still be achieved from, like, within. Without physical possessions and materialists. I know know for myself, it's like there was a time where I was traveling a whole bunch. 
but like it just ended up becoming another place because I wasn't happy with myself or like mm-hmm. there's been times where I've been super duper broke and it's like I was having a blast with my friends and like I was happy and then there's been times where I've been up so much that I just I don't even stop to realize like how good I have it and I'm sad so it's like it's one of those things for me where it's like you know it's very happiness is very much like uh, I don't want to say decision because that's the wrong word but it, it it's practice right just like maybe the art of loving is a practice it's like the art of happiness is a practice where it's like for you sure know, whatever mental gymnastics you have to do to recognize that you're actually okay you know and like yeah. I think that comes from self-love and like understanding like your past and like your future but you know not having a bill to pay you know and I've been I've had paydays like paydays are nice it's like so they're happy it's happiness but it's 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 immature and fleeting I feel like yeah I just think like, that I still yearn for like that deep you know like I'm just good in all situations happiness that for sure and that's achievable I guess <laughs> But, but I just think like if, if you're, yeah, dude, if you're, if you have a job or a career that you're making less than thirty forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year, and maybe you have student loans and you're having all these bills, and especially if you have like kids and other mouths to feed and stuff, you're not getting any help. Like you're going to be pretty there's miserable and yeah. there, there's going to be, it, it's going to be extremely hard to be happy with your life. If you don't have money. No, I agree. I totally agree. Um, I'm not trying to argue against that point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think with regards to the story and drugs and stuff, it's, I don't know, like, for instance, do you think this person's problem would be fixed if they had money? It's hard to say because, I mean, I think everybody has their own individual reasons as to why they get hooked on hard drugs. So it could be a financial thing. It could be something where it's like I got lost my job due to, you know, something that was out of my control, like the housing crisis of 2008. And then my wife left me because apparently she just wanted money and, you know, I have nobody else. And so I, you know, did some drugs to make me feel better. And then maybe his life would be turned around if he had money, yeah, maybe. you know. So, like, I think it's all very individualistic. It's hard to say with this specific story if he did not have financial burdens, would he yeah. be better and off? And they don't really talk about that, so it's it's all yeah, it's on our part. But you know, mm. it, people do say like you give you know cokehead thousand bucks. It's like you'll see him tomorrow, <laughs> like you know. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's there's but there but that's also a difference of like okay, what's a thousand dollars gonna do compared to if you got this person on their feet with a fifty sixty thousand dollar career yeah that's true something they have to keep um yeah because that's the thing when i say like i think drugs should be decriminalized i think it was what country was it i always forget i want to say it was portugal portugal had a really really bad dope Mm -hmm. problem uh way worse than uh, in America, and this was maybe like five, ten years ago, they decided to make a change where they decriminalized drugs, they stopped stigmatizing drugs, had it to where these heroin meth addicts could go to like a clinic and actually get meth that they knew wasn't going to kill them or be, yeah. you know, dosed with fentanyl and stuff. But they coupled that decriminalization with setting up social programs to get them back on their feet. They had like subsidies for companies that would hire them or educate them and put them back on their feet. And they saw, you know, like a 40 something percent reduction in drug addicts and drug related uh, crime and stuff like that, like prostitution and, and domestic violence and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's not just enough where you to decriminalize this stuff and destigmatize this stuff. You also need to have proper social programs in place to pick these yeah, people back up true. on their feet. And I, I just think that takes like, um, you know, that takes a lot of like, uh, Money. character and morals from like a society to do that. Cause it's like, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know if you've been to like Portland or San Francisco FU. recently, but it's like, it's not fun to just like walk around and see needles on the ground and be, be like, right. you know, we help but and I'm pretty sure they decriminalized drugs in like Portland yeah, like, or something like that. But they didn't couple that with 
proper social yeah. programs to and pay those people back up. I can't speak fully to it because I don't study it, but I've been there, and you know, I, for a certain amount of time, and so I was kind of just like, eh, you know, like not the best place to raise a family, and it's like, right. do I think that well, these they're doing people it are wrong. bad? They have morally? like, no, yeah. I just think that like the system's not really working, and they're. And it's yeah. like it's tough to fight the system when you're not like trying to replace it with something better, right? Right, right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's where progressives get it wrong. It's not enough to just let these people yeah. do drugs and with free reign. Yeah. It's that's not enough. It's not enough. You need proper social support, proper counseling for these people. You know, it's it's a whole it's a whole mess. It's a whole system. <laughs> The <laughs> one one day, you know, this Ladude cast is going to change the world, okay? <laughs> I wanted to talk mostly about drugs for next week, and it looks like we're already at an hour. Yeah, let's, let's, um, let's, I would give this story four syringes out of five. Oh, dark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I really yeah. like this because this short story is probably my favorite out of the three. How would you rank the short stories? Just reading them yeah, all like, in general. You know, this is, just so doing I guess that. It would be it would be this top based off your ratings, and then you did, mm-hmm. and then three and a half rose petals out of five yeah. for for the unseeing, the hundred percent perfect girl, and then three ex convicts yeah. out of five. <laughs> What's your ratings for I'm, these three? I'm flipping so we, yours. So I'm we did the exact opposite. Oh yeah, I would go. I would go ex convicts first, and then rose petals second, and then syringes third. <laughs> okay, well, okay. That's good. and that's the beauty about the yeah, Ladude cast. We have different interpretations <laughs> for these short stories. We, but we have I will, a lot. I didn't. That's not to say I dislike this one at all. Like, and I, I right. didn't dislike any of them. I, I felt that they all had value. So, for sure, for sure. Well, I guess let's wrap this up next week. We will be next back next week or whenever we feel like it, <laughs> or also maybe three, four weeks yeah. from now. You know, you never junkie. know with the dude cast junkie. junkie. Want to read along, um, but yeah, sounds good. Cool. Cheers, buddy. Episode three, dude cast. Adios, hasta luego.